Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. With over 200,000 locations throughout the U.S. and offering 12,000 different types of batteries, stop into your local Interstate Battery store today and let them help you find the right batteries for your everyday life. Welcome to the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. I am your host, Parker McDonald, and this is episode number 38. It's also episode number two of our summer series called Local Legends. In this series, we're talking to people all over the South who have proven themselves worthy of the title of local legend. And today, we're talking to Alabama public land giant buck killer, Mr. Jamie McKay. All right, y'all, welcome to the podcast, the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. I'm super pumped today. It is moving day for me. I'm actually moving into a brand new house. Um, Yeah, and so we're super busy. I'm actually sitting in the parking lot on my way to work, and uh, or not on my way to work. I'm at work in the parking lot recording this because this is literally like the only time I've got to record this part of the podcast, so... Um, that's what I'm doing right now, watching all my, uh, work friends walking into the building and I'm sitting here with a giant headset looking like I'm, uh, about to operate a helicopter or something. But, uh, nonetheless, it is a good day to podcast. Man, this episode was full of information, especially if you're a deer hunter from the South. The guy I'm talking to, his name is Jamie McKay. And I've had people tell me for quite a while now that I needed to have this guy on the show because, man, he's just, he knows how to get on big deer on public land out here in Alabama. Um, Now, Jamie is very humble. He, um, the the first thing he says when I talk to him, the, the, on the phone, uh, kind of our introduction, um, he was like, man, I'm just a regular guy. And he started naming off all these other people that needed to be on this podcast rather than him. Uh, but I really, really, really think that you are going to enjoy this. He is so smart, uh, when it comes to whitetails, especially on public land and his wall proves it. He's got two walls. Um, he's got one in his living room that's full of all of his shoulder mounts and, um, man, they're, they're big deer. One, the biggest one is about a hundred and 160 something inch um, 11 point that he killed on a local uh, piece of public land out here where we live and uh, it's actually the same piece that I hunt and um, and then he's got some 140s 130s it's just some big deer and then in his garage he has got um, he's got like a whole bunch of skull caps of other deer uh, like when I say a whole bunch I mean a freaking ton and these deer are not nearly as big as the ones he has on his wall, but I'll be honest with you, most of them are deer that I would have shoulder mounted because they'd be in my top my top few deer that I've killed. So uh, I think you guys are going to like this show. He was, uh, he was a really good guest, really smart, full of information. Uh, but before we get into that, I want to let you guys know how excited I am right now to be a part of Team Tethered. Now, if you're not familiar with Tethered, you've probably been under a rock. Um, Saddle hunting has come a long ways in the last couple of years, and Tethered is on the the front lines of that. They have done so much for the saddle hunting community. So you guys go and check out. If you're in the market for a a saddle, if you're wanting to know more, go and check out tetherednation.com and uh, see your options. There's a lot of cool stuff on there, and the guys who run the business are are top-notch. They're really cool dudes. So um, go check out Tethered. Also, Onyx, it's the only mapping um, software I use on my phone, on my computer, when I'm scouting spots, when I'm um, just looking for new spots to go and scout. I I definitely use Onyx, highly recommend it. I use the Elite Plan and get all 50 states, so when I go to Texas, Florida, Kentucky, I think I've got a trip hopefully scheduled for Illinois this this year um, in January. Um, That is tentative, but um, I think I'm going to be speaking at an event there in january so i'm pretty excited about that um there was one more oh ohio i'm gonna hopefully be go i got invited to go to ohio this year so um that'll be a private land hunt and it should be a whole lot of stinking fun so um 
on all those locations, all those places, I'm going to be using my Onyx maps to navigate the terrain to figure out where I want to hunt, how I want to hunt. So go and check out Onyx maps. I think you guys are going to you guys are going to really like that. That's going to be all for today. Hopefully you guys are getting out in the woods, scouting, prepping, um, planting food plots, whatever you're doing, fishing. Man, I've been fishing like crazy. I got uh, put on hold because of this move that we're doing. Like I said, we're moving today and tomorrow. So hopefully I'll be, be able to get on the water next week or so. Then we got a baby due in like three weeks. So uh, my fishing is going to be um, at a minimum. I'm going to be trying to save some brownie points for deer season. Um, but you guys... I am super excited about the season coming up. I think it's going to be a really good one. Also, go check out our Instagram and Facebook page. It's at Southern Ground Hunting on both of those. Lots of cool content there. Also, check out the YouTube channel if you haven't already. I have made a commitment to producing one video a week. Um, if, if I can do more than that, I'll do more than that. But at least one video a week. It's, going to, it's gear reviews, fishing videos, scouting videos hunting videos, just stuff like that. Hopefully so hopefully stuff that you guys can relate to. I don't have a whole lot of money. I don't have any private land that I really have um, complete access to. So it's all public land stuff, and it's all gear that I use. The reviews that I do are all gear that I use every single time I'm out in the woods, and so I'm trying to do better about getting those out there. But go and check out that YouTube channel. It's that uh, the Sportsman's Nation YouTube channel. You're going to see some content from Southern Ground, from Nine Finger Chronicles, and from Hybrid Outdoors, and uh, hopefully we'll be adding some new chant, new contributors in the future. But uh, those are the three that we've got on right there. So go and subscribe to that channel if you like good solid outdoor content. Let's get into this episode with Jamie McKay. I think you guys are going to enjoy it, and I feel like I am just kind of wasting your time right now. So let's get into this episode. All right, guys, I've got a special treat for everybody listening right now. I'm talking to um, the second interviewee of the Local Legends series, and uh, that is Mr. Jamie McKay. Jamie, how's it going, man? Pretty good. And we're sitting here in Jamie's uh, um, lair, I guess you could call it, the Jamie lair. And uh, i got to tell you guys, we're looking at some giant deer that are just all all around us, and so... Jamie, I was like, I was really impressed whenever we walked into the garage when I first got here. I was like, man, that's cool. There's pro Do you know how many, exactly how many uh, skull caps are in there? Uh, I think it's 31. 31 skull caps. And so we pulled in and he came outside and I was like, oh, this is, this is awesome. This is really cool. And I mean, I'm talking, you got some pretty big deer in there that you just have the skull caps hanging up in the garage. And a lot of, most of them are public land deer, just most of them bankhead deer. I get. Do you do you want to talk about where you like that you hunt at Bankhead? Are you okay with that? I'm fine. Okay, because I can edit that out if I need to. Bankhead, <laughs> Samuel Murphy. That's yeah. my two. Yeah. So, so Jamie is uh, has been nominated for this, and I've I've been friends with you, Jamie, for what I mean, probably on Facebook, uh, probably a year, maybe a little, maybe a little less than that. Um, but the reason I added you on Facebook to begin with was because Mike Perry, who um, is uh, another guy that we interviewed. I'm trying to think. It was about the same time last year. Mike Perry was uh, uh, talking. We were talking about just tactics and public land tactics. And he and his wife, they, uh, I'm sure you've seen, they, they kill some really good deer out there. And he told us on that podcast, he said, the guy you need to talk to is Jamie McKay. He's the one that needs to be on this podcast. And I was like, okay, all right. Well, I'll, I'll, See if uh, see if we can make that happen. And I reached out to you, I guess, a couple weeks ago when we started this uh, local legend series. And man, I'm just super glad to have you on the show, man. Glad to be able to share a few things with you. Yeah, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Though. So uh, I'll just tell you guys, listening, Jamie um, is is we've been sitting here talking for probably an hour and a half <laughs> about deer hunting. And we sat down, and he said, I don't know if I could talk about this for an hour. I'm like, yeah, I think you'll be all right. I think you'll be okay. So, uh, so Jamie, just tell us a little bit about yourself, like what you do for a living, um, where you're from. Just, just give us, a, I guess, a brief biography of Jamie McKay. Well, I was born here in Lawrence County and uh, been here ever since. Uh, 
my, my I work at uh, maintenance at uh, the tissue mill down here in Barton. Uh, we like to do a lot of hunting stuff down there at work. We'll have our own little buck contest down there, and uh, uh, married. Oh yeah, got married. Kids. Married, got kids, got uh, two girls and a boy. Uh, the oldest girl's married. The boy's at home, and the youngest daughter. She's uh she's on the dating scene right now. Uh-oh. Dad's not very very happy with none nope. of it, but she's the last. She? she is sixteen. Sixteen, golly. I got a little two and a half year old girl, and uh, I'm about to have a little boy here in like three weeks. But that little girl, man, I I see kids dating and stuff, and I about want to throw oh. up. Oh <laughs> yeah, makes my stomach oh, yeah. hurt. <laughs> So as long as uh, is she, you need to put at least one stipulation on the dating thing is he's got to like deer hunting. Is that kind of a given or? I've cut up with them over the years, tell them that they at least need to have family hunting land. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. And he's a sure in. He, he's taking a whole lot from you. He needs to at least give a little bit back. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. For sure. You don't want no guy that works at a salon or a nail tech or nothing like that you need a, you need a deer hunter unless he's got that land unless he's got the land you're unless okay with he's it. got the land <laughs> yeah. he's a, that's cool man i'm uh uh i feel for you man because that little girl she's got me wrapped around her finger and she starts wanting to date i'm gonna i think i'm gonna throw up i'm gonna get sick or oh mad. yeah 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 they they think one's got is the favorite over the other <laughs> so how how old's your boy? He is twenty six. Twenty six. He a deer hunter too. He was his younger years, and I think I've walked him so much it, it turned him against it. The youngest girl, she's never picked up on it. The oldest girl, she loves it. I used to walk her a lot, and uh, took her all the way down to Samar Murphy. It's like we're there yet, we're there yet, we're there yet. <laughs> Finally get there. Are we leaving yet? Are we leaving yet? And <laughs> I walked her pretty good, but she seems to like it pretty good. She's killed a pretty nice eight-point bankhead, mounted it, uh, in one of my old, what I call a honey hole, and uh, uh, she's wanting to make another hunting trip up there this year. That's awesome, man. That's really cool. That's really cool. I've, uh, I'm worried because I, I love to deer hunt so much. I talk to a lot of people like yourself who are super into it. You love the the grind of public land, you love all this stuff. And a lot of people's kids are not into it because it's, it's, it's hard starting out. The way you hunt is difficult. You have to be very committed to walk in with, you know, a tree stand and walk in a couple miles into the woods and probably not see a deer most of the time, statistically, you know, and, um, man, I, I know I was, I was lucky. I was raised in West Texas. And so, my dad was on a lease, and we'd go sit in a in a deer blind, and we'd see deer, and that got me it got me hooked on it in the, you know, in the realest way, because I was seeing deer, it was getting my adrenaline up, and a lot of times when you start kids out on public land and places where they're not seeing deer, it's it's really hard to stay into it. So I talked to a lot of guys like yourself who kids are like, eh, they may like it, they might not, you know, and so right, right. Yeah. I, I I normally get in a club, it's. Because you have that dry time on public, you got to go somewhere that you feel more comfortable mm-hmm. that you might see something. But that's where I actually started the kids out at. Yeah, is on hunting club or a lease or something like that. And uh, actually, the oldest girl, it was she killed a doe that morning. I was like, "Well, that's great. I can go scout and get ready for a gun hunt coming up." And she's like, "Daddy, I want to stay and hunt this season." I was like, "Oh." Okay, I can go scout another day. We'll stay and see if we – that's back when Alabama, you could actually kill two a day. And uh, she actually shot another one that evening. Dad just couldn't find it for her. Oh, man, it's and, your fault. Right. right. <laughs> All your fault. That's yeah. the way it works. But actually, the two kids, the, the oldest boy and the girl, she got, they both got a deer piece before on public – or not public, but on lease land. But Yeah. Uh, but like I said, the oldest girl, she got a really nice eight point up in Bankhead, um, and it was a long haul out for her. She'd got some some new boots and uh, got some really nice blisters on the back of her ankles, and uh, it was quite a while getting out. So I, it didn't burn her out because she's actually wanting to go back to the same place. That's awesome. So so talking about kids and stuff. Um as far as getting into the sport, do you can you tell us how you got into it and and kind of the journey that led you to where you're at now? 
Yeah, my dad, he, he was a big hunter, always hunted all his life, and, and he's killed some really nice deer, but uh, growing up back in the 80s, and public land is really, really all we went to. I don't even recall dad ever being in a hunting club, and uh, he's we we went to Okamugi, uh, Wolf Creek, back when it used to be a missionary, mm-hmm. uh, Waterloo, Freedom Hills, uh, Went to them all, and believe it or not, growing up, I was the scared one in the woods. Uh, I'm gonna tell on <laughs> myself a little bit. We was down at Wolf Creek, and uh, which at, is which is no longer existing. Right, right. Yeah. And uh, Dad was one of them that dropped you by a tree. I'll see you later on in the day, and it was it was still dark, and Jamie didn't have a flashlight. And <laughs> Jamie thought he heard a bear in the woods, and I come out squalling and crying, and and. And got back in the truck and had some, it was a big group going hunting. And uh, that's where they found me after it got good light <laughs> way up in the day. And and uh, we still laugh about it. Uh, one of the guys that was with us, he was with his dad hunting. And he's actually a guy I work with. And uh, we laugh about it today because I turn out as the hunter I am now and not afraid to to go through the woods because I have a lot to ask me. You go that far in there, hour or so in the <laughs> woods, and you just carrying your bow, no sidearm now, and, and and yeah, yeah, that's what I do now. Man, I can relate to that. I can remember times um, walking out. You know, I mean, and this was back when I was younger, and I'd be walk. My dad would drop me off. You know, a hundred yards away from the shooting house or ladder stand or whatever it was. And that was the most miserable walk of my life. I'm like, it's there ain't no telling what's out here. I'm gonna run up on a, on a monster or something. You know, it's like right, <laughs> you hear right. all kinds of noises. Something's following me and stuff. And and I, man, it would freak me out. And now, looking back, I'm like, I mean, now I'm kayaking. I'm on the lake by myself. It's foggy. I can't see nothing. At three o'clock in the morning, paddling a mile and a half, and I'm like. How do you even get to this point? <laughs> like, I don't remember an in-between stage where I was just kind of scared walking through the woods. It was like I was scared, and then all of a sudden, I was just walking in the pitch black. I don't, I'm not really worried about it. Right. I, I don't get scared, but there's some <laughs> uneasy moments because you hear something over there, and you're like, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. Just keep walking. Don't stop and listen. Just keep going. I had a buddy uh, last year, so... Uh, this guy's name is Ben Curry, and you you may have heard me talk about him uh, a little bit. But he's he is a uh, he's a fisherman. He fished for Auburn on the Auburn uh, fishing team, and he's a he's an outdoorsman. Loves to hike and stuff. Just never really got into deer hunting. Well, now he's you know in his late twenties, I believe, maybe early thirties. And uh, two years ago, he wanted to start deer hunting. But he wanted to start deer hunting with a bow on Bankhead on on public land. And, uh, and he didn't, he didn't want to do it any other way. I was like, bro, you can borrow my rifle and do whatever. Well, he, he was walking through the woods one day. He ended up killing his first deer with a bow on Bankhead this year. And, uh, it was really, really a cool story. But, um, he was walking in one day, his first year hunting, and there was a bobcat or something that was like growling at him, making some real scary noises, you know? And he, I believe at the time he was still just ground hunting. He didn't have a tree stand or anything. So he's just hunting on the ground. I'm like, man, my butt might have been out of there. Right, <laughs> you know, right. I couldn't imagine the first year you're a deer hunter and you got bobcats growling at you in the pitch black. That's uh, that's pretty scary. All right, so 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 you grew up, you're scared of cat, and yeah. uh, <laughs> so so go on with that. Well, as we went on, we 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 hunted a lot, and uh, Dad was one of them. I guess you say a a, a stalker. Morning was a steel hunter. And uh, I didn't kill my first deer till I was 16 year old. And I went with my buddy, Stephen Harville. Uh, we, well, we all went to school here at Moulton, and uh, we went on some land over here at Mount Hope, and I got my first buck there. And it just kind of went on from there. Uh, another guy went to school with, his name was Michael Higgert, and his dad, Tony. My dad, we never went to scout. We never, um, I never knew what scout was until I, I got up and started hunting with Tony Higgard and his boy, and uh, they would like to go uh, maybe a week before the hunt. They'd scout a spot out, pick it out, go in the day before the hunt, hang their stand, and that's where I learned to scout. And from hunting with Tony and, and, and Michael, 
uh, it kind of honed me that way, kind of showed me the way, and then talking to a lot of people here in Lawrence County, they know Tony Myers and, and, and so many others. When you get to talk to them, you pick up on, on their experience, uh, what they do, uh, uh, just casual conversations. It's so many that, uh, that here lives close to Bankhead that just casual conversations helped you out, and that's kind of how I got my start. I wanted, to, I wanted that big deer like Tony killed or, or uh, Randy Coffee had killed, several of them, uh, and then back – I wished I know back then what I know now because in 90, I know 95 is when they opened the B side back up after being closed, I think, for six years. And I think the A side was closed before the B side, and I think it had five or six years it was closed. And if I'd have knew then what I know now on some of them hunts, oh, I yeah. have no doubt that my house would look like Cabela's and I might be divorced by all the mounts hanging up because it was some really, really, really nice deer brought out of that mountain. That's, uh, man, I, I do that a lot. I'll think back. I don't know why. Why is it that all your best opportunities that you have happen before you know what you're doing? Do you yeah. ever feel that way? Oh, yeah, I look back the at, at, the, at the places I've gotten to hunt and some of the really cool, my dad was a pastor. He still is. But he was a pastor all through my childhood, and so people would invite us to go hunt, and we got to hunt some really, really cool places, and we were just learning. You know, my dad, my dad basically, I got to be with him when he shot his first deer when I was seven, and um, that's a cool Father's Day plug for, for this episode, kind of the Father's Day episode, but I got to be with him, and so we were just learning together, and, and really still are, you know, we call each other all the time, and um, but some of the places we got to go into and go and, and hunt, if we'd have known what we know now, it's like, man, we could have really done some damage there, you oh, know? yeah. You know, so I can totally re relate with you on that. Well, I've got more picky with what I shoot now, but... Uh, I can't relate to you on that. I'm not very picky with what I shoot. <laughs> anybody know my dad? Oh, he's a meat hunter. Really? Oh, yeah. You know, that's awesome. And whatever limit they give you for a day, if he could fill it, he'd fill it. <laughs> And you get to help drag. Oh, yeah, you get to, but maybe you get to help eat too. So that's good. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's good. So, uh, is your dad still hunt? No, he he's actually a pastor himself, and okay. he's kind of give it up. But he, uh, well, no, he don't pastor. Let me rephrase that. He's actually evangelist. Okay, and he goes around, but his health don't let him get out like he did. He's mm -hmm. had, uh, I think, both knee replaced, shoulders replaced, carpal tunnel on both hands, but. He still likes to eat them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, man. He's always like, all right, boys, y'all killed me a deer this year. <laughs> it's almost like the wife. Hey, you need to shoot them does you're seeing. We need the meat. Like, if you'll come help drag some of them deer, oh, I don't mind shooting them. But yeah. I don't want to drag them from where I'm going. Yep. that's I understand that, man. I, well, I, I say I understand. I don't understand it. Like, <laughs> if, if a doe comes and gives me a good shot, I'm like, eh, okay, okay, I'll shoot you. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so, so man, I mean, being raised, you raised by a deer hunter, uh, sounds to me like you kind of made some friends who were mentor, kind of mentors to the way right. you hunt. Like, that's just a good testament. You know, I think a lot of guys, especially in what, what you and I do and a lot of listeners that are listening to this, what, what they do as well is, you know, we like to grind on public land. Like we like to, to work hard. We like to see the, the fruit of our labor, you know, and we like to kill deer and, and all that stuff. And a lot of times with, with that, kind of, that kind of person, and if, if, you're, if you're listening to this right now and maybe you're a new deer hunter, um, this is, this is going to be for you how important it is to have somebody, like you were saying, that you can really pick up on the things that they're, that they're telling you. And you can kind of start to see patterns and put stuff together and have kind of a mentorship in hunting. Like that's, man, that's important. And kind of yep. sounds like, like it was that way for you as well. Yep. And I, you know, I'm, I, I understand you get to a certain point and it's really hard to maybe take advice from people. You know, I've killed deer, you've killed deer. It's hard when you get to a certain point to, to say, you know, hey, give me advice on, on how you did that. Because you want to be the guy that's giving advice on how, how, how you did it, you know. Right. But man, let that pride get out of the way and, 
and, and listen to what some of these guys are telling you. So that's why it's, you know, it's super important, I think, to have, to have mentorship and, um, you know, really just learn from even some of the old timers who have been doing it for so long. There's so much wisdom that can be, that can be in, in those type of conversations. So, so you're talking about this guy, Tony, what were some of the, um, what were some of the things that maybe you, you picked up on in that high school, you know, early, early on in your hunting career? What were some of the things that he, that you would say that he taught you or, or even some of the other people taught you in that time? Uh, I actually asked Tony, we went out, uh, try not to give no hunting spots away here. Yeah. <laughs> but we actually hit the Crandall Road over on the south side of the mountain and, uh, he went in there. I was hunting a deer, a particular deer in the area. And uh, ain't many places I hadn't told Tony that I've been that he's been there too. He right. knew exactly what cut over, what thicket I was hunting close to. And uh, he actually tell you about trees and what to hunt, what acres to hunt, what not to hunt. And uh, that's helped out a lot. It's uh, woodsmanship, man. Woodsmanship is like so important. I think a lot of people skip over it. But far as hunting the mountain bankhead out here, it's far as bow hunting, it's hard to say I'm gonna go hunt this wide oak because I'm finding these droppings under it. And you don't find droppings under these wide oaks very often like, hey, this is the one he's concentrating on. When you got uh counting the Mansmary too and the forest land, you're looking at hundred and eighty something thousand acres. You're not going to find that magic tree that, hey, this big boy or whatever's feeding on us every day. Uh, it's the trails. For me, I like to hang to the trails. Uh, um, so when me and you talked the first time, I want, and I really want to dig into this topic because, uh, man, I think it's it's important for me. You know, there's a there's a group of guys – um, and I love to watch them on YouTube. They're called the Hunting Public, and we've we've interviewed them on this on this uh, podcast before. While they were turkey hunting, and um, and they actually came to Alabama and hunted hunted a place where you're very familiar with, and uh, I won't mention it just just so nobody's there, so we can preserve some some areas. But they they've right. hunted a place that you're very familiar with, and and one of the things they were hunting the rut in January, uh, so it was like kind of the kind of the late rut and um one of the things that they were talking about was was finding these scrapes and and hunting scrapes and uh at which in a lot of states is a good idea you know right. you go and do that you have a, a higher number of bucks you have a higher number of deer period and so you know a scrape hunting a scrape is not necessarily a bad idea but you said something that i completely agree with and i've said it for a while but i haven't really gotten to talk about it on the podcast is that you really don't hunt scrapes pretty much ever. Very rare. And so why is that? If you put as many hours in a tree as I have and sitting on a scrape and never see nothing show up, you kind of change a little bit. (laughs) That'll um, do it. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) That's not even tactical. That's just logic. (laughs) I'm not seeing deer here. Right. And then you hear occasionally somebody sitting – up at the check-in station, killed a really nice buck. Man, I was sitting on a scrape line right at daybreak. He come through. Well, kudos, I guess you'd say, to him because it has never happened to me as far as on a gun hunt. Uh, it's been a lot of dry hunts up there. It's as uh, far as – now, I'll bow hunt the creek bottoms when bow season is in, and I've had success on it, but when that gun season rolls out – at least you know there's bucks in the area. Yeah. The rubs are there. And I have some, man, how do you get on these big bucks all the time? I like finding the big trees that are tore up. And if it's small trees, the tops are twisted plumb out. And I, and I don't set on them. It just gives me an idea that there's something with a rack that actually twisted the top out of this. And then. And scrapes. Scrapes are the same way. I mean, if, you, if you're hunting an area with a lot of scrapes or, or, or you find a big scrape, at least what you're. You're using that intel, but you're not necessarily using it to figure out where you're going to hunt at right. necessarily. Well, you may, but but as far as hunting that spot, it's you know it's not really it, for me out here in the south, in, in, at least in Alabama, it doesn't do me any good. Mm-hmm. And so you know I, I understand what you're saying about that with scrape with with rubs, you know, and 
and buck sign is buck sign. If there's buck sign, that means there's bucks there. Right. Um, but it's not necessarily where you where you like to hunt at. Um, but but you you kind of talked about um, it, when we were when we were talking together. You were talking. I, I think it was me and you that were talking about this. Anyways, a lot of the a lot of those uh, that sign is going to happen at night. Yeah. You know, and the guys that you were talking about at the check-in station, he come in right at, right at daybreak. Well, that's because there was something, some other factor that caused him to come in later than in the night. You know, it was, right. it was peaking daylight or something like that. Do you have any, do you have any, uh, theories on, on, as far as like what, when, if you do hunt over a scrape, what what would be the time that you would do it? Hmm. I typically, if I go in, I hunt all day, and sometimes it well. And you hear a lot midday. I see these big bucks come in midday. Knock on wood, I have not seen the first in midday <laughs> yet. But you're not actually traveling through the woods bumping deer going in and going out and i think that's helped a lot because i've it was actually a muzzleloader hunt i had a nice eight point come across the creek at three o'clock and it was actually a hunt we was me and another guy was hunting together and i'd bumped some hogs that morning and it got pretty sketchy it was the moon i wasn't running no flashlight and uh anyway after they had left, I found me the nearest tree past this. It's actually in the wilderness area, the old game, old game plot. And I know when bucks like to cruise around that old field. So I just jacked up a tree right there, and I was actually using a cell phone for a clock. And we was going to go out and eat dinner. Well, it was eating the battery up, so I shut it down. Anyway, it I didn't come out, and he actually went eat dinner. And then when he come back in, I'd shot at 3 o'clock. Hmm. So I didn't really disturb no deer, and you're actually by to me on public land staying all day. It's the ones that's leaving at eight thirty, nine o'clock, ten o'clock to go out and eat dinner, and then they're coming back in uh, one or one thirty. They're moving the deer for you. You hadn't even moved. You ain't even uh, got you sent there as far as traveling in and out. But I have. Um, is that every? Is that every every time you go? Just about? Do you sit all day? Just about. And and there's particular areas I hunt in now. It's so far in. It's not even feasible to even come out because you're out and you might get to go to the truck and then you're turning around having to go right back in. And it's uh, if I do come out, it's to come out to go closer to the truck and jack back up in a tree. Something may be a little closer, but it may be because I hadn't seen anything in that spot. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, when you walk an uh, hour one way or hour and 30 minutes one way in, you just don't want to come yeah, out. Yeah, you tend to not want to do that again if you don't yeah. have to. So so would you say, so a guy who hunts most of the time all day, would you say as far as breaking it up into into seasons within the seasons or uh, I guess, would you say there's a, there's a specific time of year that you see certain – certain types of activity as far as what time the deer are moving or um, like early season versus mid-season or rut than late season? Is there a certain time of day that, that you tend to, to be able to see more deer in depending on the time of year or the time of the season? No, not really because I've seen them at daybreak. I've seen them at 9, nine o'clock seems like a magic hour too. I agree. And then maybe right before dark. Yeah. Because it's normally when they're getting up on their feet and, and they'll travel all night. Uh, I like early November out here, and I'll I'll stay in there with them. Uh, the game camera has really changed uh, a, a lot of the ways I hunt because uh, it gives you an idea of what's in the area, and it kind of helps uh, me as a hunter to look at a picture, and know what's in there than the unknown. That's that's part of uh, being able to stay in that tree a little bit longer. I've got this, I guess you say, a fetish about this deer, and I want to actually kill this deer, and you'll hang in there a lot longer than you would say I found uh, there's buck sign over on this ridge. You just, it helps you to hang in there. Mm-hmm. But not, and you ain't got to go that deep up here in that mountain. I have 
hunting close enough, I could tell you what color the vehicle is. And yeah. I have hunted close enough. If you drove slow enough, I could tell you who was driving that truck. Yeah. But they, uh, the one spot over there on the Crown Road, I actually I could tell you what color the vehicles was. I've taken a few bucks right in there because I was using, uh, not really using my family members as as pushers, <laughs> but they love one side of the road, and I've never really liked it. And I actually wanted to try the opposite side of the road and went over and, and I was like, man, look at all these trails. And I, and, and it was actually some good buck sign one year in there. And I was like, I'm going to hunt over here because it's my father-in-law, my brother, this and this and this and across the road and missed opportunity on a really, really nice buck one morning, but it was one of them overcast mornings, but they all piling in walking, trying to get to where they want to hunt on the opposite mm-hmm. side. And it's just flushing them over to just me. And that goes back to kind of what you're talking about, your whole strategy behind sitting all day too, you know, is you, you get a lot of the, a lot of the pressure ends up being a good thing for you because it gets a lot of those deer on their feet and they're not stupid animals. They're smart. Mm -hmm. They know when hunters, especially, especially in, uh, on public land, they know when hunters tend to go in, they know when they tend to leave, they know when they tend to come back in there in the afternoon and they know when it's dark, they're gone. Um, they're smart animals. I've even seen them. I'm sure you've seen this too, where you find a big, big bed overlooking a parking area or overlooking a place where people access, (laughs) you know, because they just know. I've heard, uh, just, you know, talking to guys at work, there's one, he actually got this buck figured out. He told his buddy, he says, do not stop at the gate. I want you to slow down just enough to me get out. And he went on and when he parked the truck, he actually killed the deer. Really? Yeah. Uh-huh. He was when they parked the truck, he come towards the front where their gate was at and he shot him. It's a good thing deer are not predators. Yeah. It wouldn't be many hunters. <laughs> yeah. <left>. They <laughs> We'd actually, all be dead. <laughs> right. They they they'll figure us out quicker than we figure them out. Oh yeah, that's true. So kind of go, going back into the tactics thing, I want you to talk about um about kind of the trails that you find on top of on top of a bluff. Um, I've heard people talk about this. I've seen it in my scouting. I've never paid it just a whole lot of attention. That doesn't mean I haven't hunted them before. Um, but I want you to talk about it and kind of why you, why that's such a big thing for you. Well, after hunting a lot of these creek bottoms for so long and hearing all these rifles on some of the gun hunts going off all the way around you, uh, I was like, it was actually a group of three hunting a particular morning. And my brother come up to me, what'd you get? I said, man, I ain't shot. I said, what'd you get? I ain't shot. Well, it has to be our brother-in-law down there on the creek at the at the forks of the creek. It has to be him. Yeah, down there, he ain't shot. I was like, so that, that particular hunt right there changed a lot of my scouting because I started scouting the top of the ridges right there as it crests off. Normally, even if it's not a bluff line, if it's just a good ridge, one of them long ridges, one of them good long finger points, if you'll go just right before it crests off, nine times out of ten, it is a trail right there. And then the thickets may be, well, I say thicket, it's probably thicker than what you're hunting up above it. And they go, that is a travel route. And then when the pressure's on, a lot of them will cut through, they'll run that trail but not just hunting it off the pressure points. Like early November, uh, I'll try to bow hunt maybe at the hunting club, something like that, to get a doe early. But when November hits, I wasted my money on that club until late season because I'm hunting that mountain with my bow. Um, Especially the top of the bluffs, you'll find a scrape here. I ain't saying sit on top of the scrape, hunt the trail because You'll have scrapes all along, and a lot of them, from what I found up there, you're going to have a lot of your, your bucks already cruising early November, and they're looking for that first-time doe coming in, and maybe a, a scrape close by, he's going to be coming and checking. He's hitting, and it's more than one buck. I actually, uh, one particular year, I had a, I messed up on a, a really nice, probably maybe mid-130, 10-point, and... Uh, he, after even after I shot him, I just grazed his belly. He uh, he actually trotted through a couple more scrapes, and I went back the next day hunting the same tree because the trail. 
and uh, had another, well, actually, it was a small 11 point, and I got him, but that particular tree there, I have killed one, two, three, three or four really good bucks, I think, out of the same tree, but I've had numerous bucks, and, and it's hard to play the wind right there, the way the, the on top of the bluff it swirls. Mm -hmm. uh, I've got busted in there more, probably more than what I've brought out, but sometimes it plays out where maybe the wind ain't right. And, and for me, I, 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 like, I, I try to play the wind sometimes, but sometimes in that mountain, the way it swirls and rolls, you can't play that wind. And, mm -hmm. and hey, if it's meant for me to get him, I'm going to get him. I'm going to go get him, what I call my tree yeah. and, and hunt it. But eventually that spot there is kind of dried out and I had to adventure out over or um, that particular spot I wouldn't really see nothing in. And I, I, I think I climbed down one day and, and went over the ridge and I found some more really good sign running top of the bluff on that side. And... Uh, I'd went in there, and I think I'd stuck two bucks on that side. But I, talking about staying all day on a particular hunt, it was about nine o'clock, and this is going to be uh, this is going to be like the first week in November. I had a six-point trailing some does. Actually, the does had come in first, and he come in trailing them, and I actually bumped a couple of them around. I thought I'm not leaving. I think I looked in my backpack. I had maybe two bottles of uh, green tea or water and a bag, big bag of trail mix because I'm <laughs> staying. And if I'd have known it was 4.30 before I seen the next deer, but I had uh, a doe and a yearling come. I'm talking about if they had slipped, they'd have fell off the bluff. That's how really? they was hanging it and traveling it. And they went on, and then uh, just a little bit later, eight point come around. I hit that can call a couple of times. He, he stopped but never really paid me a mind. And that can call on that mountain, uh, my brother got me on it. It, uh, I love it. Just did you like the echo, kind of the? Uh, that'll bring them to your tree. Really? Yes. <laughs> it, it don't work. I mean, it works at the right time around here, just like it does in the Midwest. Right. And, and get back to where this eight point come in. The can called it and worked, but I hit that grunt. I think the second grunt, he come just loping right in, went to scrape, worked it, come up, and I stuck him. The bad part is I didn't find the deer. Yeah. And and even brought, I had my brother bring in more flashlights. and But just changing up from one location to the next, it, it was, uh, uh, even though it wasn't the honey hole tree, sometimes you got to let that honey hole tree go because they may change up that following year. I hear a lot of people talk about this, okay, and um, – just break it down for a second, not getting attached to a spot or even an area a lot of the time. Um, I've got spots like that, like what you're talking about, where I've killed several deer out of the same tree. And, I mean, to this point, it hasn't dried up yet. But there are times whenever it does, you know, periodically where I can sit there for a couple of days and not see anything. And so I move on and, and try, to find, try to find something else because you never know. That's actually my... My biggest deer that I killed this year, um, it was on that. It was a first-time sit. And I'm, I'm, I'm very I'm, – I'm trying to figure out how to find a balance between um, first-time sits and kind of honey hole spots. I've talked to you. I've talked to Mike Perry. And you guys are both, I mean, just killers on this, on this piece of public out here. And, and people know your name. I mean, your walls – speak for themselves you know you don't you don't have to really even say anything people just walk into your house and be like oh well, this guy knows what he's doing um and, and you guys talk a lot about you know you've killed the same a deer out of the same tree multiple times um and that's cool but then you talk to other guys who are like you know you gotta you gotta move you gotta first time sits are gonna be the best the best sit and that's true in a lot of in a lot of right. cases both of them both of them are true if you had to if you had to pick one What's going to be your What's going to be your go to? Are you going to go to the old faithful spots, or are you going to go to a new place? Hmm. It depends on what I found. Uh, that that first time in has always been great. 
I've had some first time ends where I either got the deer or I blowed it. And I think I've blowed more than I brought out, but that's part of <laughs> that's it. That's how that happens. That's, that first time <laughs> ends really nice. And, and for this mountain out here, it's being persistent, not to get discouraged. I mean, well, I do, but my wife helps me along to keep going back because you can climb 15 times on the same trail. Wait, let's, let's pause real quick. You said something that was pretty funny. Your wife encourages you along to keep going back. Yeah, yeah, she does. It sounds like you found a good one. Yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> she, uh, she says, you pouting already? Oh, okay. So she don't want to deal with you pouting. Yeah. Oh, that makes yeah. more sense now. I got you. <laughs> well, running these cameras, and, and ch- them cameras has changed the way I hunted, but, man, when you go in there 15, 16 times and you ain't seen nothing, I, I don't think I'm moping, but she says, you're already moping. <laughs> you're going to have to get out of that. You need to go on hunting. And, 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 and that's helped out. Uh, she likes for me to hunt, I think. That's good. But uh, so you're telling everybody that the secret to getting to hunt more is just to pout more. Yeah, yeah that's what that's you're saying. Yeah. I feel like that's what you're Pretty saying. Much. So y'all heard it. Y'all heard it from the man himself. Because <laughs> she's, I cut up. I say a happy wife, a happy life. She says, no, not my house. Happy Jamie's a happy life. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's good. I like that. But. Uh, I don't remember where we were at. You were talking about, you know, not getting not oh. getting uh, discouraged when you go 15, 16 oh, yeah. times and staying, staying persistent. Yeah, it was, uh, let's see, not this past season, season before, that one spot I hunt, normally I was getting, well, I actually stuck a really nice buck in it, and he had left out, and one buck, he'd never come back after he come out of velvet. He stayed gone. I hit hunt after hunt after hunt and bow hunted in there and I stayed in there pretty hard. I was like, and I only had pictures of this one particular 10 point. Uh, I pulled my cameras out in October and like four days before I pulled it, he shows up on his camera. I was like, well, I done pulled the camera. Well, I stayed in there and I think had one, one rub and maybe two scrapes on this whole creek bottom for about a 15 to 25 minute stretch. I kept checking in and out, and and I think it was a Sunday evening after church. I said I've got to make a hunting or scouting trip in here before, and and before or actually after church, but before the next hunt. And I, there's a saddle in there I've been hunting. And that trail was going through it, and I was like, man, I got to find see if there's any fresh sign cutting through. And on the main trail, I went through, and I said, that ain't really that much sign. But it kind of hugs the creek bottom. And I walked up a little bit, and I looked over, and I was like, man, look at all these tracks and these leaves. So I hung a left walking. Kinda, uh, actually, I, I went the trail after it hits the side of the ridge at Fort. One kind of went about middle and starts tapering down, and the other one stayed right there on that crest like I was talking about earlier. And I'm talking about, I grabbed them leaves and raked them back, and it was track on track. I was like, man, I'm, I found, anyway, the found me a tree that next hunt. The first deer come through about maybe 9 o'clock was a 10. I, well, a 10 I had pictures of, and I got him. Um, but I had to change up. I'm constantly, I don't really, I mean, I'll stick to an area, but I'm constantly scouting and and. Going in week in week out, Sundays is or Sunday evenings, and and me and another guy one year was actually doing Sunday morning before church. We'd get up early, we hit the mountain, riding and walking, go to church, come out from church, and go up our scout mower. Um, there's guys I've worked with, and and a lot of people make fun of me. I even we had a pastor up here at Moulton Church of God couple of years uh chris bell he's went scout with me and he's he's like man and i've took uh other people scouting and i get hard i get talked about about uh, the way i walk and how far i walk and and, and <laughs> i wear out some boots but i i kind of enjoy it and not just doing it i guess for the the passion of it i like getting out and walking seeing new areas yeah um uh, even when i'm hog hunting up there or turkey hunting 
it starts out I'm turkey hunting until these turkeys up here in this mountain takes me to this bluff, that bluff, and this. And it turns into a scouting trip. I'm constantly looking for deer sign. Mm-hmm. Um, the one particular year we hunted one area, I never got to see the buck. Uh, I think uh, a guy you shoot bow tournaments with, he seen him, and my dad seen him on the field. I never seen him, but I found both sides of this deer turkey hunting that day. They dropped him within, uh, I say, four feet. So wow. that turkey hunt turned into a shed antler hunt all the way back to Chuck <laughs> every trail I knew of, and I didn't find no more. <laughs> it's hard to find sheds out here, man. People, you, I don't know if you ever see people, they, they'll go out in the Midwest, and you know a lot of those Midwestern states, a lot of ag and stuff, they'll do shed hunts and shed rallies and stuff. That's a tough thing to do out here. you got to cover a lot of miles to find a shed. Yeah, I hadn't here. found many. Yeah, I hadn't found very many either. Usually, I'll tell you when I find more sheds than anything is when I'm on a blood trail. I've found more sheds on blood trails than anything. Yeah. Um, so so talking about scouting, do you, do you pretty much, I mean, you, you talked about doing it during turkey season some, but you really talked a lot about, you know, the, right the week before the season or during, during season, in-season scouting. Do you is there? Do you ever scout like summer? Do you mu- do much summer scouting, or um, do you just stick to mostly in the season? Well, uh, the you know when deer season rolls out, you kind of got that dead spot between deer season, turkey season, and that one. I was a particular one deer I was after. I set out to find him in March, and and I don't know how many hours I put in just walking. I'm gonna say late. Is this this deer right here? Yeah, the ten. Yeah, which so so you got him. So yeah. this this is a important strategy. It's important important part of it. Yeah, I was getting his picture. I've got his pictures like three years in a row, and I and this is what I call the honey hole tree. And for three seasons, I think it ain't no telling how many. I wish I'd keep a journal that way I can to tell somebody about bank hunting the mountain. How many times I sat in a tree. Um, and come home with nothing or seen a deer. But this particular deer, I'd get him in velvet. Velvet would go off, he would disappear. And that particular year, I said, I'm going to find this deer or die walking one. <laughs> and I let out, and I actually found one shed from the year before. The following year, I won't go into detail on the story, I actually found the other shed close to where I found that one. And then... That year, I actually killed the deer within. I could sit on that ridge and see where I found all the sheds and actually shot the deer off the same ridge. That's crazy to me because you don't hear a lot, especially on public land, you don't hear about a lot of guys who target a deer out here. I mean, you hear about guys who are like, oh, I got a picture of a big deer. I'm going to try to kill him. But it rarely, rarely works out. It's tough to figure out a specific deer's pattern out here. It's really hard. Um, and a lot of that, I mean, pressure adds in a ton of that because, you know, where you and I hunt, really the whole state of Alabama, if you got public land, it's going to be pressured. Like, there's going to be some kind of pressure on it. And, and it's really hard to find a spot where a deer is going to be comfortable staying on the same pattern all through deer season. So, I mean, that whole story of that buck, and that was, was that 2017? Uh, I think so. I want to say that's what I, th- I thought that because I remember seeing the picture. Um, I want to say maybe Michael showed me the Mike uh, Mike Perry showed me the picture of it. Anyway, um, I, I remember seeing the picture and that I mean it's a it's a it's a good deer. I mean that's a really good deer and you just don't see a lot of people who do that on purpose who target a deer on public land and and kill it. As my wife say, I was obsessed with that one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the crazy thing is that's not even the biggest. You, so you told me this uh, on the phone when we first talked, and then you told me this today when we walked in. I mean, you got some impressive deer. What's that? What did you say that one right there? There's This one is from the same. The 11 uh, point was uh, 162 and 8. 162 and 8. The first thing you said was I got lucky on that one. Uh, <laughs> and... 140 and two eights on the 140 and two eights on that big eight. Yeah. And how big was the 132 and some change. 132. So, I mean, that's a significantly. I mean, and the other two was with bow. And yeah. This was with a rifle. Yeah. 
And but what you said was, I'm more proud of that deer than any deer that I got in here. And uh, man, I mean, I'd be proud of all of them. Uh, but that's just a really cool story. It talks about you know, the experience of it is really what what made that hunt. It's not the size of the the deer's right, horns or right. anything like that. It's the the story of it. You know, the the sheds. You got history with it. I mean, that's cool, man. To have the pictures for so many years and never see the deer, then find the sheds and and stay after him till you actually get you either get him or somebody shows you a picture of him where they got him. Yeah. And that's the disheartening thing because that's happened to me. Uh, one, two, three. Three different times. Now, that deer, um, was that the first, th when you shot him, was that the first time you ever saw him on the hoof? First time. That's crazy. For first three time. years, you hadn't even seen the deer on the hoof. Just pictures. That's cool. That's yeah, a cool story. I actually found him. He's about, I would say, almost a mile further in, but it actually hugs back and goes closer to the road where I shot him. So it's an easier drag? <laughs> That's good. Well, yes, it was all downhill. <laughs> that's good, and that's a that is a cool story, and uh, and a real testament to kind of your hunting style and and uh, persistence. I mean, that's really in a nutshell what what this whole series is is about. The local legend series that that I'm doing with Southern Ground is um, trying to figure out how how guys like you and we talked to Warren Woolmick on the last one. Um, how you are able to to do this and one of the things i mean even mr womack said that said the same thing is persistence don't get don't get discouraged keep going keep grinding keep pushing forward and that's um i mean that's what makes a legend would you agree yeah i know you're having a, you you hate that you're being called a legend right but but i mean it, it really is i mean that's the, the guys who are never going to be able to do much especially in the deer woods, really with, with anything, with your family, with your work, are the people who give up. And keep, keep grinding, keep pushing forward. Man, maybe one day if somebody will listen to this and say, you know what, I'm going to keep going. Maybe they're, maybe they're down, maybe they've had a tough few seasons. Man, maybe they could end up with a wall like yours one day. Yeah. <laughs> and Love. a wife that loves you to go hunting. Right. That's, that's an important part of it too. Just luck. Yeah. <laughs> but bluff gaps. I, I like hunting the bluff gaps up there. If you can ever find uh, the one area that's got the bluff, it wraps long ways around, you find that one particular gap, that is a hot spot to be on the gun hunts. I've talked to Tony. He said it was years ago, and he had one come off a bluff gap, probably the biggest deer he's ever seen up there. But he was coming down that bluff gap. Hmm. It's a lot of bluff gaps up there. Would you say, and and this terrain is going to be pretty typical of, of a lot of places in the south that have any type of of steep terrain in Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama, um, a lot of the same type stuff. Maybe some north, northern Mississippi uh, is going to be set up the same. And a lot of guys can can you know benefit from benefit from that one thing you know and. Would you say that's your number one, like when you see that on a map or when you're scouting, is that the first thing that you're like, oh, yeah, that's it? Not really. Really? I wished I could read the, the topo map saying, hey, there's a bluff cap here because I actually met a guy. He didn't work at our plant long. He could actually take a topo map, tell you where a bluff cap was, and I reckon put it in a GPS and take him to it. I can't. I have to do it by the old boot. Yeah. And uh, – and another thing is, if you'll figure out where your your uh, your typical hunters like to hunt up there on some of the gun hunts, that's where they go. They go year in, year out. Figure out where the pressure areas are, and then you get you kind of reap the benefits off of. There's one or two places up there if they kind of go back to a, a open day hunt on the A side. There's one particular spot I'd go back to. I don't hunt it much now because I jump around. Sometimes I do jump around trying to figure out where the best spot to be because the buck sign changes. Mm -hmm. But uh, I've seen seven or eight on that, on that particular one hunt. I actually told my brother to take another guy in there with him. And uh, I think they seen up in the teens. 
I said, but if you don't make it on that particular first hunt, you're not going to see nothing. He went back the next hunt, he seen zero. Hmm. You got to catch them on that very first hunt on that surprise, and they come through there like a floodgate. Yeah, and for a lot of people, you know, the way that this, the way that the, the Alabama, which, I mean, I guess Alabama, you can hunt all of them whenever you want, as long as you got a bow. Um, so you can you can do that on the WMAs, but um, that kind of sounds to me like you're saying like pressure. Yes, find that pressure point. Find that pressure and and do your best to avoid avoid hitting the the big pressure spots and go to kind of those escape escape areas. Escape routes. Yep. Yep. And how I found that particular spot there, I was going. It's. Uh, Walking in nonstop, right in an hour. Wow. And then for a couple of years, we, on the way out, I said, man, look at all these tracks cutting back across this old road bed. Finally, finally, I went in there, done a scouting trip. I said, I'm going to try this. And, man, they just come pouring through on that hunt. And I went back and actually went in there on a scouting trip. Wasn't even going to go on that side. And I actually rode a bicycle in on that particular day. I said, I'm going to just go over and check this trail because that trail – like I was talking about on that crest, I had that trail, and I was gonna see if there's any bucks, any fresh bucks I put on. When I got down there, I bumped a good buck. And for me, out here in this mountain, if you bump him, get back in there as soon as you can. He's working that area right now. He may leave because he's gonna find him a doe. If he doesn't find him there, he's only gonna be there for a couple of days. And he's going looking somewhere else. Cause it's like he's deer travel. Mm-hmm. Went back the next day. And he actually walked the bottom. I, I'm talking about a bruiser. The following day was like Thanksgiving Day. I said, I'm not going in there. I'm going to wait till the following day on the gun hunt. Boy, did I mess up. Because <laughs> there was more hunters in there, and it changed him. And actually, I talked to the guy that shot at him. Or I say him. He said a really nice buck and didn't get him. But I should have went back the very next. I won't make that mistake again. If I bump him, I'm going back next couple of days at yeah, least. Well, I have the opportunity to. That just takes away a lot of the get. That's that's the guessing game. You, yeah. you go to an area saying, I, I don't know if there's a big buck here, but I think there might be a big buck here. And you walk in and you bump him. Well, then your guessing game is gone. You know, you, you he's just, there. he's you there he's somewhere. There. Right. And and a lot of times, if, you, if you're ever out like West Texas or, um, you know, even a place with, with not a lot of, uh, not a lot of, ter- not, or not a lot of, uh, trees or anything like that where you can see a long ways and you bump a deer and just watch how they do it out here it's really hard to see it because they go in a thicket or something like that and you think oh well they're in the next county but i mean a lot of times they're not they're just they're going to go and they're going to try to figure out a way to get back to where they were just at because they they like that spot right and uh man i a lot of people get discouraged i don't know if you see it on facebook pages or not but i see it all the time i just bumped a deer is my hunt over Heck no, your hunt just got better. <laughs> at least, right. at least you're you're the whole time you're going to be excited and optimistic. You know, maybe he's going to be back. So, well, man, we're coming up on time. Uh, we've been talking for about an hour now. Uh, I know you're nervous. You didn't think you could talk about it for an hour, but we're there, and we could probably keep going still. Oh but yeah, we're just now getting we rolling just, good. We're just getting into the good stuff. But, yeah. but uh, dude, I really do appreciate you coming on the show. And uh, man good luck next season i know it's going to be statistically it's going to be good so i've already got my cameras out that's good that's good how long have they been out mid-may mid-may so they've been soaking for a little bit gonna catch some of that velvet and it's gonna be good a lot of that velvet that's good that's good well man i really appreciate it all right well that is gonna be it for this episode thank you so much to jamie mckay for coming on the show and um, sharing all of the knowledge that he had and all the information that, that he has to share. If you guys, um, what, what I do, I, I started this podcast, but um, I, I really gather so much information from talking to guys like Jamie. Um, I try not to host as a guy who um, knows everything and knows exactly what I'm doing all the time. I get so much information just from the people that I interview like Jamie, like Warren Womack, like Michael Perry, um, just guys that we've talked to in the past who are, who are very much knowledgeable about hunting in general and also hunting on public land. I hope you guys are doing the same. I hope you guys, I, I take notes, I take mental notes, 
um, after talking to these kind of people, I usually will go onto my maps and start looking at the stuff that they're talking about and trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together. It is a never-ending puzzle chasing public land whitetails, but um, I think every single piece matters, and what, what these guys are bringing to the table is just priceless to me. And so hopefully you guys are doing the same. Um, that's going to be it. Like I said, huge shout-out to the boys at Tethered. We appreciate what they do. The saddle industry is growing, and they are on the front lines of that. Go check out tetherednation.com. Also, Onyx Maps, amazing mapping software. Just go check it out if you haven't already. I think it's like $40 or $30 for the, the premium membership. That's one state and $99 a year for the elite membership. That's all 50 states that you have access to. Go check those companies out. Hopefully, you guys are going to get in the outdoors this week or this weekend. If you do, just remember that God gave us dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and the beasts of the earth. So go out and exercise that dominion. We will talk to you next time. <laughs>